0: My name is Drew Daniels, I'm the cinematographer of Outer Range, and this is The Go Creative Show.
1: Hello and welcome to The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Drew Daniels, the cinematographer of Outer Range on Amazon Prime. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. I love this show. This is like the perfect blend to me of science fiction but also rooted in reality and it's it's very human and it's just it looks amazing and this is definitely like if there if there's ever been a show that really hits me perfectly this is one of those shows uh and I just cannot wait to talk to you about it before we get there I just want to very quickly remind all of you listening today to subscribe to us on our YouTube channel because If you're just listening to us right now, you're kind of missing half the show. So that's sort of the whole thing, especially here at Go Creative Show. We are a visual medium. We are an audience of people that make things for visual mediums. So why not subscribe to the YouTube so you can see and hear uh, everything going on Go Creative Show, all these interviews you get to see our guests. We post our full interviews and also show shorts that are enhanced with behind the scenes photos and videos. So it is the place to be, of course. When you do, make sure that you subscribe to us and click the notification bell so you never miss an episode. Of course, all things Go Creative Show at GoCreativeShow.com. So, Drew, Outer Range, Amazon Prime, such a cool project. How did you first get involved with this? Yeah,
0: just um, I, honestly, I'm not the biggest sci-fi person, but this felt like something I could like actually wrap my head around. It felt like something up my alley.
1: Yeah. And I think that for me, because I wouldn't consider myself a science fiction fan, but I like stories that have like little science fiction elements in it, but are largely just dramas and very human stories. Like I, I don't like it when shows pull me out of reality too much. I, I can handle a little bit, but when I get pulled out too much, I start becoming like, uh. Ah, because I'm thinking like, if anything can happen, then anything can happen. And it sort of is like, there's no consequences. Are people alive? Are they dead? Who knows? Who cares? This show doesn't really do that. This show is very much rooted in reality. And I think the visuals support that as well. So like, when you hear about this project, Outer Range, coming in, um, sci-fi, Western, not so much sci-fi, a little bit more of the humanistic look, uh, humanistic story, visually, when you start thinking about it, what are your first thoughts
0: hmm well i think my first thoughts were yeah like to ground it in reality grounded in like a just realism with the lighting and 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 things i feel like like you're saying the audience can then invest more in the story and invest more in the characters and the stakes and it doesn't feel like and I think when things just feel real, like you feel more invested. And I think it helps just ground a story like this. I think that was one thing. It just, it needed to feel grounded and then you can play with the visuals. You can play with like, you know, the, the show definitely goes there in terms of like getting weird and getting, getting, you know, just kind of crazy with like the, the the camera movements and the, the lensing and just the overall aesthetics of it. But, you know, as far as like the, the, the sci-fi elements, you know, I was thinking more along the lines of like um, like like Twin Peaks or mm. like Solaris or something where it just feels like you're mostly into like the characters and the hum- humanity of it. The whole sci-fi thing, I mean, you could see it or not see it. I think it's more exciting when you don't see it. It's kind of this thing with horror as well. It's like you don't see the, the creature or the thing you see what it does to people. And I thought that that was an interesting thing about the scripts and, and also just about like the approach to it.
1: I know that you did episode three, four, seven, and eight. So that's basically half the show. Mm-hmm. You're working with other cinematographers. Talk to me about that collaboration and who you worked with.
0: Yeah. So at, I, I was there pretty much from the beginning with, uh, Adam Newport Barra, who is a re- really good friend of mine. And, you know, we shared an office, um, we hang out on the weekends, and we both had a very similar... I mean, we have different tastes, I think, but we both really did have a very similar approach to to the show. And, um, you know, we would dig up references, we would try to, like, come up with ideas to pitch to the showrunners and to Amazon as far as, like, the aspect of the the aspect ratio of the show, the, the lensing, all of those things. Um, we didn't win all the battles, but we, we were definitely like collaborating pretty hard on it. You know, we, we would reference the same films and, um, contribute to like, you know, we'd go on scouts together. We would, uh, I mean it was about as collaborative I think as it could be. I I've done a show before. I did Euphoria and in I I wasn't there in the same in the same capacity as far as like you know they had already shot a pilot and and I was kind of just like matching that. But from with this I got to um be there from the beginning and it was really really satisfying and and I felt like my My uh, mark was left on it, even in the beginning, the episodes that I didn't shoot.
1: Part of your—now, that's an interesting take, because leaving your mark on a show is not something that cinematographers necessarily get the opportunity to do all the time, because Mm -hmm. they're working under a show Bible, they're working under a primary DP, they're—you can't really deviate too much from the established look of a show, especially multiple, you know, uh, seasons into a series.
0: yeah. I, I do agree with that, but I I think I think with this show, one thing that I had always um, wanted for this show was I wanted it to kind of have a progression, and I wanted the language to be able to have somewhere to go. So I feel like in some ways, the beginning, the first two episodes are a little bit more, I'd say, like maybe a little more stoic, a little bit more uh, grounded, a little slower. And then things like really have a place to go. Then, you know, by seven and eight, we're like, just crazy. You know, we're doing dolly zooms and big crane shots and car chases. And it's, you know, the whole thing just because of the beginning, you know, it had a place to go. And I I, I like to do that with all the things I shoot is, is I like to have a visual progression and really commit to it. So
1: what would you I was say, able to do
0: that in some way on this.
1: What would you say was your stamp? So like, what is what was the Drew Daniels of it all that sort of came in on your first episode, episode three? Uh,
0: I don't know. I mean, that's a really hard answer, question to answer. It's like, I mean, so much of it is dictated also by the director you're working with. Like, I I will say that the director of Seven and Eight really let me, like, run with it. Mm. So I would say my stamp is more on Seven and Eight than anything. Those feel, like, very much, like, my visual style and my, like, almost, like, sense of humor even, like, with the camera. Like, I really think, like, me and Larry, um, director of Seven and Eight, we really had a very similar idea about, like, shooting scenes in the fewest shots as possible, like in the most economical way and like really committing ourselves to, all right, this is, we're going to shoot only these three shots. And you can really only edit the scene one way because it goes from this shot to this shot to this shot. And I would say that's more my visual stamp. So like, it really came out in seven and eight on three and four, you know, the director, she was much more, she would cover her back and shoot a lot more coverage and, and, you know, so like I can only do so much. And I, I tried and I try, I tried to leave my mark on it. And, you know, in in one way I will say, um, I got to really leave my mark on the show with the lighting Mm. and, and that was kind of a little bit new for me because I wasn't operating and, and I so I, you know, I would sit with the gaffer and in, in the DIT and we would like really get in there and and shape the light and really like have a have a concept for the lighting and every shot we would we would do something. We would we would really finesse every single frame and get it really, I mean, to a place that I, I I'm, the, I'm one of the things I'm the most proud of on the show is like my lighting. And I think it's because of, because of that, actually.
1: You brought up something interesting, um, uh, just a minute ago when you were explaining this about, um, not uh, about providing uh, shooting limited amounts of shots. So not necessarily getting the traditional coverage that one may expect, um, Talk to me about that decision and how that impacts the entire show because you are essentially when when you're given less options to the editor you I'm guessing have it allows you to have more time to do what you want to do like what's the trade-off there
0: Well I think one of the things it allows for or just by nature is like it gives it gives me and the director control over the edit mm. And therefore, control over the show, like in a in a really in a really just, I mean, it's risky. But I I think that's my per- my preference is to shoot the show and bake the look in and bake the cut in in the way you shoot it on the set on the day because like that's where the movie that's where it's really made. I mean, um, yeah, that's like I. I you know that's all another thing. It's like prep versus shooting. <laughs> but um, as far as the as far as the shooting of it, like yeah, I get to leave. Me and the director get to like really leave our mark on it by the coverage, by um, the very the specificity of the shots. And we talk about the editing on set, so it's not like something we're just leaving leaving. You know, hoping that it'll work. We're like, no. This this scene opens with this shot. Uh, you know, we we ended the last scene with this wide frame, so let's start on this close up. Let's pull out. Let's pan over. So we really, I mean, when you shoot a shot like that, there's no B camera. There's no there's no uh, covering your back really, because it would it would mess up the entire like rhythm of the cutting. So, you know, we're thinking about rhythm, we're thinking about story, we're thinking about uh, composition and juxtaposition of shots. We think about all those things and on set, and then we execute it. And it's just like, that's that's how you leave your mark on the show, I think.
1: Now, you'd mentioned that being risky. Mm-hmm. Why do you say that?
0: Oh, I mean, because, you know, you get a call from the studio, like, oh, uh, you're not getting enough coverage, Constantly. I mean, that's that's a big thing that I constantly hear. But, you know, I mean, enough enough coverage for one person might be like, you know, for us, it's like, oh, it's a good thing. For them, it's like, oh, we, we need options. We need options. We need options. And mm. I, I totally understand that. And I think that there are scenes, you just kind of have to know when to do that and when not to do that. When to cover a scene heavily and when to just commit to your one or two or three shots, you know?
1: So that, is that, uh, is that a common thing that happens? Like do, do cinematographers always kind of want to have a little bit more control over the edit by way of limiting the amount of shots? Is that like kind of a common tug of war between studio and and DPs?
0: I think it is. Yeah, (laughs) I think so. I think it's also directors too. Um, sometimes directors will be very much on your side with that. But sometimes it, you know, a lot of it comes down to like, you know, do we, do we run a B camera every single shot? And I say, no, usually I'm like, no, it doesn't, we don't need it. It doesn't work. But sometimes it's, it's great. It's like, yeah, that, that's a great option to have that, that, that extra shot or that extra angle. Um, or maybe it's something that's like really a little bit more weird and avant-garde, and you want to just have them try it. And if you if it works, great. If it doesn't, if it's like a punctuation mark for the scene, that's cool. If it doesn't, it make the edit. I'm fine with that. Um, but but yeah, I, I do think it is a constant thing that you have to battle. And, and I think part of it, the thing, the tricky thing with TV is you. Don't, you, you sign on as a cinematographer, you sign on to a whole project and, and you don't really know who your director is going to be. Most of the time you don't. And that for me is the biggest risk because, because I, you know, I, I'm just working with a director I've never worked with before. I don't know their style. I don't know if they're going to try to make me shoot the thing in a way that I don't want to shoot it or the way that I don't think is right for the show or they'll make me do a bunch of extra coverage or et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, yeah, I think it is a constant battle as far, in, in, in a lot of different ways, not just with the studio, but sometimes it's with directors that you don't know who want to shoot it in a different way than, than you want to shoot it. But, you know, a lot of directors will kind of defer to you because you are, you know, you've been there longer, you've shot, the, you know, you've developed the show, You've you've shot two episodes already, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, it's a battle.
1: Talk to me about this concept of having a sense of humor in your cinematography. You brought that up a few minutes ago when I was asking you about what was your stamp on the Mm -hmm. show. That was one of the things you mentioned, and I'd love to get a little bit more elaboration on that, because that's an interesting idea to me, and I want to make sure I'm understanding it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I would almost say it's like a personality. The camera has a personality. You know, it always does. I feel like no matter what you do, like, you suggest a shot to the director, it's going to have your, like, ideology, your understanding of the world, your sense of humor, all those things in it. And I, I like I like shots that have a little bit of, like, levity to them, a little uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, a little... I mean, I, I, I think it stems back to not only my personality, but just, you know, like my the photography that I like. There's always something where you, in a frame, I like diff- frames with different layers and frames where you, you see different things happening in different depths. And also, like, there's comedy in there, like, you know, like Elliot Erwitt or um, even, like, like Cartier-Bresson or something. There's there that he has a sense of humor with his photography. You see, like when when that photo was, when that frame was taken, he was trying to make the audience laugh. You know, he saw something funny and decided to take a picture of it because it just peaked. It was like, oh, that's interesting. I think what I find interesting in the world is like, yeah, like the the comedy or the the total like. um like dichotomies and things that just really like clash and and things like that, you know?
1: Is there a particular scene or shot that you can reference here that sort of had that, maybe that tongue in cheek feel or there was a little bit of comedy infused into it? Um, I know it was, I'm sure it's been a while since you were filming the show, so it might not be top of mind, but
0: is there anything yeah. you can reference? Oh, I mean, <laughs> like this scene. Um I, I think it's well the, in in 107 and in 108 there were there are several scenes several scenes with Billy and uh, Autumn. And there's one at the motel where I knew it
1: I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> oh
0: man, like I love that scene and <laughs> Me I love, too. I, love the, I love the way it's shot and you know we we, we did the sort of cut where you literally like do a big shot and then repeat the shot and then you know like for instance they kiss and we do this f- super fast dolly shot and then we do it as a crane shot and then we do it as like an extreme close up of their l- lips and tongue and it's all backlit and it's just like it's over the top but you know there's something to it that's a little just funny and also like the f- the opening of the scene starts and it cranes through the window and goes over autumn and reveals billy just standing there at his truck and i feel like you just can't help but laugh you know <laughs> just the, even like his posture leaning against the truck and way the camera reveals him it's just ridiculous and funny um there's also this shot at the end where they're they kiss in the bank and he starts singing and the camera booms up <laughs> and looks down at him and the light is hitting his face in a certain way and he looks up towards the camera and sings and I don't know, just stuff like that. It's like, Oh, we just thought, Oh, this is be funny.
1: The singing <laughs> shots are so silly. Like this character, it, it, there's, huh. you don't know if it should be menacing or funny or like you, it, you really don't know what to make of this, of these singing shots. Um Yeah. Trying, what episode was the one where he's singing in the mirror and he's just standing in his underwear with no shirt on? I can't remember if that's two or three, but it's... Oh, that it, was episode two, but I actually shot that. Oh, you
0: did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that's another good example. It's like, yeah, we start close on him. I mean, for I remember I was even talking to Adam. I was like, oh, Adam, I, I'm going to do a zoom out for that shot. He's like, of course you're going to do a zoom out. That's the only way to shoot that shot. It's like, yeah, you, you know, you start on his face and he's singing and that's interesting but then you pull out and see him in his underwear it's also like i liked it because it felt like it might be royal's sort of point of view in a way because it because it was a zoom and it wasn't a dolly shot you know yeah so to me it felt like those kind of shots like for instance zooms or long lens or something it feels like another point of view it's like it adds another layer to the point of view which i always try to think about when shooting something is whose point of view is this
1: let's talk about the camera package lenses you chose and why and i want to sort of morph that into a discussion about camera movement overall because this show has a, a lot of unique camera movements and evolves from the first episode to the last it gets more adventurous it gets more jagged it gets more sort of all over the place um which I love uh, because it's really a a great visual evolution of the whole show. But let's start with the camera and lens package that you chose. So tell me what you used and why.
0: Um, We used Alexa mini LFs. And, um, you know, (laughs) it's funny. You choose something and then you're like, I should have done this. I should have done that.
1: You have regrets Um, about it?
0: Um honestly one of the biggest things that I was real, me and adam actually were both advocating for is we wanted to shoot the show in a taller aspect ratio like like 1.5 to one and we ended up two for we literally ended up on the opposite because uh product because of the showrunner so they wanted a widescreen show and i you know I get that I just thought that the whole sci-fi thing would have played very interestingly in a tall frame, mm-hmm. but beso- that aside, <laughs> we chose um, yeah we chose Panavision uh, because there's a Panavision in New Mexico, and I mean it just kind of made sense like it for the show um, for the support that we would get from Panavision. Um, we shot on Panaspeeds. One of the main reasons is because. Honestly, because they're large format, they cover the sensor, and also they're very fast. And uh, particularly, Adam really wanted to shoot a lot of things very wide open. And I actually started to gravitate away from that as the show evolves. Um, and and I thought in my, <laughs> it was a personal choice just because I actually don't like super shallow depth of field, but it also felt like a choice that made sense for the story as it evolved, having more depth and starting in a much more shallow, like I, I think it kind of, uh, it, it almost feels claustrophobic sometimes when you have depth of field, that's that shallow. So yeah. I thought it, things would open up as the show kind of moved along and, um, so that was both a personal choice and just a personal preference, but also it kind of made sense for the story. So I kind of justified it that way, which happens sometimes <laughs> a lot, well, actually.
1: You must have also needed those, those you know, high-speed lenses for how dark some of the cinematography is. I mean, you guys go really, really dark in a lot of these shots.
0: Yeah, you know... I will say though a lot of those shots we probably had ND filters in mm. to get and then shoot it wide open. I mean like we we had a lot of light. Like we there was no shortage of big lights on that show. And um you know, shooting night for night on like wide expense expensive fields and, and out you know the, the the ranch house and like all the just everything you had to light to get a realistic looking shot actually is kind of crazy <laughs> um but yeah we shot we shot at 1600 ISO and we shot on the panda speed so like in theory you know you could shoot it with a lot of natural light but we didn't we mostly shot we lit everything and that was just that was a choice to really be able to control the look of the show and um you know I I don't and it's funny like I don't shoot everything like that I actually do like shooting natural light and I do like very very minimalist setups but for this show it just felt like it needed it needed something more it needed to be a little bit more deliberate you know
1: Well, let's talk a little bit more about the lighting in Outer Range. Um, You had mentioned earlier in the episode that it was one of the ways that you really left your mark on the show. And uh, talk to me about why. What were some of the things that you were doing in the lighting that were uniquely yours and also fit the show?
0: Mm, Yeah, well— I I wouldn't say uniquely mine, because I definitely stole a lot from Roger Deakins.
1: (laughs) Um, I guess we all steal from everybody at the same time, but still, it's your interpretation.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually really interesting, the whole Roger Deakins thing, I will say, because Roger Deakins shoots a lot in New Mexico, or at least he shot several films in New Mexico back-to-back, like Sicario, No Country for Old Men, um, True True Grit. Anyway, so... we we're, work we're, And t- on top of that, he's, you know, friends with Josh Brolin, shot No Country for Old Men in Las Vegas, New Mexico, the exact town we were shooting in. Mm-hmm. So there would be times where Josh would be like, oh, we literally shot on this street a similar scene, oh. you know, a shootout scene or whatever, on the same street. He's like, I'm having no some way. very intense deja vu. So, you know, we had to make it feel different than No Country Old Men, which I think we did. But, you know, in some ways, like, I, I I feel like my lighting philosophy is probably not all that different from what Roger Deakins does. It's like, you know, sidelight, backlight, you know, trying to trying to motivate with real sources, sources you see on screen. Um, But I really got to do this thing that I wanted to do, um that i that actually roger does is where like you you motivate the light from outside you know through windows mostly you know and then you just wrap the key light around with like a series of bounces and smaller lights and you don't really use fill light or you actually you don't use any fill light if anything take away fill light and you just wrap the key around and usually the key comes from like from like further from the side or from like a three quarter, three quarter side or back angle. And then you wrap it with, you know, say for instance, three, four by four muslin bounces or ultra flop bounces or something. And, and then, you know, in that, in that, uh, wrapping, you know, you use three different lights so you can control like how it wraps for instance it you know as it wraps to the front of the face it dims down or you scrim it down and you also flood the light and, you know maybe the side one is spotted in it's a little hotter and then by the time it gets here it's dimmed down and it has a really natural fall off on a person's face and it also is an eye light depending on where you put the camera but most of the time the camera will be in an angle to where just the key light is or or the wrap light the light that's wrapping is the eye light so it kind of got to be i got to really like hone that in and like figure out ways to 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 take that sort of just easy like very basic concept and and apply it to a lot of different scenes and and then really just make you know make the light look natural and, and motivated, which it was. But, uh, but then just really like hone in the details of like how it falls off around a person's face. Like I got to really study faces and, and, and incorporate the lighting in a way that I hadn't really gotten to do. Cause I hadn't had like the time, the resources, I had a really good gaffer, Jeremy Oliver and his team was fast. And they just, once we started doing it, they just knew like, oh, this is what we're going to be doing. So, had all stuff ready, had, you know, we really, we really became a pretty well-oiled machine.
1: So, I want to make sure I'm understanding. You're, you're lighting through windows for the general ambience of the space, and then your key light is essentially a bounce of a side or a backlight. Yeah. Is that, that's right?
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're wrapping around the light. That's basically what you do. You take the, take the light, you do the broad strokes. Sometimes the broad strokes are enough and you're like, all right, this is great. But often, you know, you make the broad strokes and by the time you set your exposure, you need a little bit of light to wrap around the face. And that's basically what we were doing with smaller bounces and smaller lights.
1: Now, you have a lot of shots inside the farmhouse. There's plenty of windows there for you to work with. Um, but then the scenes that I want to discuss, and we'll talk about the house too, but there's a lot of shots inside of bars. And, you know, it's darker. There's not a lot of windows. Or if even if there are, it's, it's nighttime, so nothing's coming through. So really, mm-hmm. you're working with, you know, neon beer signs and just lights that are in there. And as a result, you have a lot of color and a lot of pretty deep saturation in some of these nighttime shots, both inside and outside. Um, Can you talk to me about the way that you are incorporating the, you know, the, the, um, the lights that are on set, like the practicals that are just there that you have to kind of work with?
0: Yeah, for sure. So a couple things, I mean, we worked with the production designer pretty heavily, like this color neon here, this, I need, I need lights behind, you know, on the other side of the bar. And they, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but they had the, this huge array of, of like small little, uh, warm lights mm. on and, and a mirror, you know? So, so we, we kind of, we had the amount of control and budget to, you know, build sets and to, to, I mean, that was a set that was actually built on main street in the town. And, you know, we did day for night there and, and, uh, it, it depends on the shot, but mostly, you know, we were able to do day for night and for the day scenes, I was able to just blast light through those windows because a lot of the references were just like, I remember the showrunner saying, I want it to be dark inside, mm-hmm. but when you open the door, I want it to be like blinding, you know, like I just want this big wash of light to be able to come in, you know, when it feels like you've been in a bar all day and someone walks in and it's just like, you know, your eyes are so adjusted to the dark that the light just becomes too, you know, too, blinding. So, you know, took that and ran with it and you know, we designed the set with dark colors and you know, so a lot of it is like the just being able to collaborate with a production designer, you know, we we all got the same influences from the showrunner, from the writer and so we were all on the same page. Another part of it though is, you know, our references, like me and Adam, you know, we're both like very much obsessed with like Robbie Mueller amazing cinematographer Mm. um who shot like paris texas and he shot the american friend a lot of Wim benders movies and um no time or uh to live and die in la barfly anyway so like his work was a big influence in the color of the show like we didn't want the show to be like desaturated we didn't want it to be uh tinted warm or tinted you know we we wanted to like play it natural but like have saturated rich colors like very like poppy reds and uh reds and blues that were just really intense and and strong so and and Ernst Haas was also um another photographer who some of his work in the U.S. was just like stunning and was a big influence on like Driving scenes, bar scenes, rodeo scenes. Alex Webb is always a huge inspiration for me, and his work is always very saturated and 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 uh, deep shadows. You know, so you know it's a combination of a lot of different things to get to get where we got. You know,
1: Ernst ha- Haas.
0: Yeah, H A A S.
1: That name is not familiar. I'm going to put this. Oh, no, I don't think this guy's familiar. I will put uh, you know, some um links to Robbie Mueller and Ernst Haas in the show notes so you guys can check it out but now I'm not familiar with his work but I'm looking at photos now and I can see that there really is uh, he's leaning into color quite a bit and a lot of like natural color you know yeah. cityscapes and lights outside and uh, yeah, playing yeah. playing a lot with kind of like the the when the shutter is open too long and you sort of have the, the sure, streaks sure. streaks and everything. Um,
0: I think oh, it was cool. for us more more about like playing the natural world against the unnatural world. With yeah. for instance, like like the an orange sodium vapor barn light or a green mercury vapor light against like a beautiful sunset, you know, or like a wide expansive uh, prairie or something, you know, things like that. Like the, 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 like to me, like juxtapositions like that are always very interesting. And I, I, I did this movie Red Rocket right before Outer Range and it was all that. It was like oil refineries and green and orange and crazy messed up colors of light against like the most beautiful sunsets you've ever seen. So those are things that are just interest me. And I think, I think, for instance, in a in a photograph or a frame, just a frame of a beautiful sunset. Sure, we've all seen that, but a beautiful sunset with some something in the foreground that just throws it and makes you, you know, like a like an ugly green light, and silhouetting like a cowboy, you know, smoking a cigarette or something. Like, that's more interesting than just the cowboy against the back, backlit, beautiful sunset that we've all seen. So
1: let's talk about camera motion and camera mm-hmm. movement in Outer Range. Um what was your strategy for it? I feel like, you know, as a viewer li- watching it, it seems like the we have more and more of it as the series uh progresses yeah. and or as the season progresses rather. And it seems like we like the biggest camera motion near the beginning of the season is kind of these very rigid uh slow to medium um dolly moves in and out. And you're starting to like just wet the palate a little bit about what's Mm -hmm. to come with the motion. And over time, it gets more aggressive. Over time, it gets you know more, you know, I guess, fast paced. Um, So, talk to me about the the strategy of camera motion, how you use it, and what were your kind of thoughts throughout this season?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're spot on. You know, with like the sort of like contemplative nature of the first episode and like things are just starting to move and like the whole is just starting to like create these sort of, uh, or maybe exacerbate certain emotions and feelings and dynamics between families and within families. And, uh, so yeah, it makes sense for it to be slower. And then I think, you know, three to three, four, five, and six. Kind of, I think they, they. I think they're they're very different, but like they they kind of take that further and further, and the camera starts to be a little bit more, um, like an active participant in the storytelling. Mm. You know, I think the camera is does have this sort of omniscience in some way. To me, like, there was some times where me, like, in 7 and 8, like, we, I feel like we really got to a point where we were, we're like, oh, this camera feels like it's almost like the whole's point of view, <laughs> you know? Like, this camera is, like, is, is inspired by something otherworldly, you know? Like, maybe it was a Zoom, or maybe it was, like, some big push-in, or some, like, really dramatic thing that it was doing, but, um... I think I think we did try to have a certain sort of camera language for for more like family dynamics things, and then things that were like whole dynamic, which then start to intertwine in a way. But because there was that that sort of like um, I, I think omniscience is the best way to put it, you know, where like the camera just feels like it's motivated by something. That you can't even articulate, you know. I think, and it, I think it was the whole, you know, it was just like this greater uh, perspective. And then, uh, you know, and I think it, as far as camera movement, I think, you know, we'd always talked about not really doing handheld. Mm-hmm. But then, by the time me and Larry got to episode eight, you know, we're talking about the rodeo and we're talking about. I think there were several reasons for going handheld, but for us, it just felt like it just felt like this. It, that's the way it needed to be, <laughs> yeah. and we and, and and we had these influences for the rodeo, and it just felt like we were never going to be able to pull up, pull it off unless we were handheld, unless we were fast, and unless the camera could like react to the actors emotionally and like really get in there close. And, you know, if we were shooting all that stuff on like cranes and and Steadicam, I don't think we would have pulled it off. One of the biggest things that we were able to achieve with the rodeo, for instance, is like shooting dusk for like this, a very extent. I mean, there was like six pages or something set at dusk, maybe even more. And, so basically, I I talked to the ADs. I was like, "Listen, the only way we're going to do this is if because we had three three days at the rodeo for mm-hmm. for eight, maybe even four. But um, I, I basically said we need to shoot over three dusks, and we need to shoot. Du- we need to spend one dusk shooting the opening. You know, him getting there. We need to shoot another dusk shooting the dialogue scene on the bleachers, and then we shoot shoot the third dusk. Where Royal gets the phone call with with uh, Autumn and is like walking through the whole thing, and the camera goes around yeah, him. Yeah. And I think maybe I'm not sure if I think that one might have been Steadicam though, because we did we did kind of mix in. We didn't want to be handheld for all of it, but for like all of the dramatic, like really nitty gritty stuff, we were handheld. And oh, and also when Royal goes and and tries to talk to Rhett, you know, that was all hand, that was all handheld. And that was all dusk. I mean, we got away with like, like when you read that in a script, you know, you're just like, "Ah, there's no way you can do it. Or, or you're like, Oh, the only way that we can do this is if we shoot over three or four dusks, which we were able to do. And which, you know, when you're shooting that fast, you know, you only have like 20, 30 minutes of like true dusk to really nail the shots. You know, we pushed it, to the extreme, you know, starting as early as we could get away with and going into like pure dark for some of the shots and, you know, hoping that you wouldn't notice it. And I think we pulled it off, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was very satisfying to be able to do that. Um, and I think that that's kind of like, as far as the camera language of it, it felt like. Things were all clashing and had devolved into this like chaos, and it felt like that that moment made sense.
1: Those rodeo scenes are just so cool, and you do you know it, they appear throughout the entire series, but the the rodeo scenes in the in the final episodes are just they're just spectacular because you it seems like with each new rodeo scene it gets elevated a little bit, it becomes you know more important in the story, but also just. Uh, it it takes uh, it takes up more time in the episode. It becomes a larger presence in the scene. Yeah. a lot um a lot is going on in these rodeo scenes. Uh, and I'd love to just round out our conversation with a little bit more uh, of the way that you approach those. Um, I found them to be pretty unique. And I also feel like that the lighting in those rodeo scenes becomes more and more as if there's a spotlight. Uh, it, it, if that makes any sense, like the light sources seem to get hotter. They seem to get brighter. They seem to be a little bit more influential in the scene as the rodeo scenes sort of progress over the series.
0: Mm-hmm. I, honestly, a lot of that is the location because I think when you do shoot in a big a big scene like that that covers so much space, you kind of have to rely on like what's there in a bigger way or else you're just kind of fighting... What's finding what's natural, you know, and, and, and I think you can really screw yourself when you try to fight the available light too much. So it's funny you say that because I, we actually lit, I would say we lit the first scenes more because it was a different location and it just wasn't as good of a location, to be honest. And it didn't have like, I don't know, there was something about the last one the seven the episode eight rodeo where it had like it was a circular shape it had like lights all on one side and i was able to control them in like such a great way where like if i was looking this way all of the lights were on pointing right at me Mm. and i could turn off the lights on this side so everything was like silhouettey and really 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 backlit heavily and I would let the lights bloom and it was all the lights and the lenses doing all of that like blooming and yeah and uh yeah it was just a matter of like taking what was there and controlling it and um yeah it was all it was it was honestly like it was our approach to the scenes but also it was like a little bit of luck and a little bit of like just everything kind of aligning you know which I think is half of the cinematographer's challenge is just like creating those scenarios where you can be lucky or where things just come together just, just perfectly because you're flexible enough, your plan, you plan it just enough and you also let enough chaos happen. I think you, I think the chaos is very important.
1: Especially with a rodeo scene, I mean, talk about chaos. You don't know what the hell's going to happen. And, and yeah, all. so and like, what, what were some of the challenges that you faced just working with? I mean, I'm sure that I, I'm guessing that you had a double in for our for our main characters, mm. uh, especially in the white shots. But I mean, there must be some just unpredictability to the whole thing.
0: Yeah, but like I, I actually really thrive on like unpredictability, like and things not being perfect. Um, just in general, like I, I always try to, I don't know, like I always try to like inject just a little bit of like unpredictability or chaos back into the thing that we have totally set up perfectly or like the perfectly composed shot or the perfectly timed out shot. It's like, I feel like there has to be a little messiness to it, a little something that makes it feel real and like wild, you know, and unpredictable and, um, the ro- I mean the rodeo was a perfect example of that and it, you know I actually I think I had three I, I probably even had four cameras for some of those days just because like I knew that we there were, we had to capture that sort of like that that unpredictable nature and that that volatility and that like that the energy of the rodeo and it just felt like the whole rodeo felt like a beast and it felt like learning from the first two handheld was just the way to do it. And emotionally also just the way to do it as well for what was happening in the story. Yeah.
1: Well, the show is called outer range. It's so, so great. It looks amazing. Um, I I know anybody listening to this show is certainly going to like it um, and really appreciate the cinematography in it for sure. All of the episodes on season one are there and I strongly suggest you guys check it out because it is awesome. Drew, thank you so much for being on Go Creative Show.
0: Cool. Thank you. I really had a good time.
1: All right. I want to thank Drew Daniels, the cinematographer of Outer Range, for coming on the show and talking to us all about it. It's such a good show. You guys, you absolutely have to check it out. Outer Range on Amazon Prime. I also want to um, tell you about Connor Crosby. He produces the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And Dave Siegel from Siegel Sound. Dave uh, mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good. Find him at siegelsound.com. Of course, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube where we post exclusive content like show shorts and some behind the scenes imagery and all sorts of stuff for each episode. All things Go Creative Show at Show. Dot com. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Consoli at B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. I want to thank you all for joining us today and we'll see you next week on another episode of The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.